Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of IGN Unfiltered, my regularly occurring interview series where I sit down with the best, brightest, most interesting minds in the games industry. Uh, today, I am joined by two gentlemen, Peter Tamte and Jamie Griesmer. Now, if you don't know them by name, you know what they've worked on, and that is Halo 1, which is what's behind me, uh, including a number of other Halo games in the Bungie years as well. But now, the, the thing they're here to talk about today is the reannouncement of a game called Six Days in Fallujah, which is a tactical first-person shooter. Uh, and there is a lot to talk about with this game. This kind of won't be the, the normal, where did everybody's career come from, IGN Unfiltered. I really do want to dedicate a lot of time to talking about this game and the reasons for making it and the, the story behind it. So, Peter, I want to start with you first on this. Uh, first of all, where have you been for a while? Because, uh, you know, this game came up in 2009, it was announced. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But I feel like I, I have not uh, heard from you in a while. So what have you been in the game space for the, for the last number of years? What have you been up to? Uh, no, I left the game space. And, you know, what happened to us in Six Days in Fallujah was pretty disheartening back in 2009. And so, yeah, I left. I actually left the games industry for about four, four or five years. But throughout that time, I knew I was going to, at some point, come back and try to do something with Six Days in Fallujah. So I went and made productivity software. <laughs> Anything we'd know? <laughs> NoteSuite is, there's a, there's a bunch of productivity. Yeah. NoteSuite was one of the project book and a few other ones. They did really well. They did really well. And so uh, I actually, you know, I enjoyed my little vacation from the, from the games industry. So and, did you, but it's good to be back now. Do you feel like, like did you just need a break from games in particular after after the original round of six days or or did you just kind of want a change of pace and to try a new challenge i is a mixture of both i was pretty disheartened by the way people received six days in fallujah within the games media and so at that point i felt like i needed to take a little bit of a breakout it wasn't everybody i mean there was an awful lot of support within the industry as well it was a little bit of a mixture of both but it was hard to break through that that barrier of trying to do something serious about um, uh, uh, about a very serious subject that I think really stops some people from looking more deeply into what we could actually do with a video game. Yeah. So uh, you, you've already hinted at it here that I imagine. So it was 2009. For those that aren't familiar with the story, 2009, Konami announces with. Peter's uh, studio, Atomic Games at the time, announces Six Days in Fallujah, a game based on the second battle in Fallujah from the Iraq War in uh, 2004, if I, if I remember that correctly. And uh, I, was, I was at the games press event, Peter, where Konami announced this. So they you know, show right. the trailer, they talk about it, and then I've never seen this in my 18 plus years in the games industry uh, I haven't hadn't seen it before, and I haven't seen it since. I believe it was roughly two weeks later. It was an inordinately short amount of time later. The game was canceled. So I have to imagine that that uh, that result was very much a surprise to you. 
I was shocked. Yeah, actually, um, I got the news when I was, I was literally got the news when I was on a rental car bus. And <laughs> one of the guys from Konami called me and said, you know, uh, I got bad news for you, Peter. Are you somewhere where we can talk? And I said, well, no, not really. He said, well, actually, I got to talk anyways. <laughs> and so we actually, um, he, he described the situation um, that, that it was Konami's parent company's parent company, mm -hmm. effectively, that was ordering the U.S. unit to pull out of the project. Interesting. So you had obviously no say in the matter. You were just told this while you're while you're on an airport shuttle. That's exactly true. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And not to, not due to his. Any, I mean, understand the Konami U.S. people were very supportive throughout the entire project. They yeah. completely they were completely behind it and they were very upset. In fact, many Konami staff actually walked out of the office in protest that day. And the problem that they had was it was going to go over the news wires in the Tokyo newspapers. And so um, they, uh, he's like, I got to tell you now. <laughs> so he did. So, I mean, you got to, I'm sure you've asked yourself, if not ask Konami this, I mean, I don't know if they just kind of cut off communication with you entirely or what, but don't they think, don't, don't they kind of uh, consider any reactions to this before they announced the game? Like, it almost sounds like there really wasn't a lot of vetting or, or you know, I'm kind of kind of curious what, you know, what you were able to learn from them or, or what they did tell you about. Because it's just, I mean, it's certainly, it's not a good look for you, but it's not a good look for them to announce a game and then just kill it sure. a couple weeks later. Sure. Yeah, I mean, in terms of what did we learn from them? Um, you know, hmm, I think they... they I think there was a disconnect between the U.S. unit and and the Japanese headquarters, and um, there was no point in which the U.S. unit thought that they should pull out the project. Right. It was it, that that so what the kind of conversations that happened behind the scenes between the U.S. unit and the Japanese unit, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I, the U.S. unit was always very good to us. I think we've learned that um, this this game is very complicated, and it's it, it can be difficult to um, communicate to people what it's about and why why it exists. Um, at, and I think if you're if you're yeah. not familiar with the project, um, just even imagining it, like you, you're not gonna you're not gonna actually imagine what the what the game is intended to be. And so I think there was just a it's just it's just a difficult to get over that first that first hump. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think something, yeah, certainly if you ask us something I've learned, what I've learned is that the people who are inside the projects, um, they have always been super supportive. The people who really know what we're trying to do have been super supportive. I mean, we got 85 people working at Atomic on six days in Fallujah. And even after Konami pulled out, not a single one of them resigned. Mm -hmm. Not a single one of them. They held with us. And, um, and the team now has been very supportive of what we're doing. And I think that a lot of it has to do with understanding what it is we're actually trying to do with the game. So what, what's that? I mean, I, I'm sorry to kind of pick at a scab here, but uh, this is just such a, again, an unprecedented kind of story in the, in the games business as far as I know. So then yeah. it falls to you then, I presume, to have to go back and tell those 85 people that are working on the game that it's over. Yeah. I mean, we had conversations with other publishers back then, too. The challenge back then was that there is a very limited number of publishers that could fund the, that size of a budget. Right. And and so um, 
most of them already had a military shooter at the time, or they were um, also afraid of the same thing happening to them that happened to Konami at the time. Right. So, so um, we had we had we had CEO level discussions with a number of very large publishers immediately after that, and there was some very serious conversations with a number of them. But in the end, um, it was one of those two problems that stopped it from happening. Yeah. Well, Jamie, I want to ask you in a minute here about how Highwire came to get involved in this all these years later. But, but uh, Peter, first, I'm, I, I'm just curious. You know, I've this is this game. I would never have guessed in a million years that this game would come back. That any game that's been gone for this long that never came out is now back in development, back in the works. So, what is it about this project that that means so much to you that you fought to keep it alive? Is this is it personal for you in some way? Yeah, I mean these. Marines and Iraqis trusted us with their moments of truth. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. And um, that uh, I found in those stories, these, uh, these, these situations that really uh, expose things that divide us as well as things that can bring us together. And it has always been my hope that if I can just expose players to those same stories, that they will see those same things that divide us and the same things that bring us together. And in the end, there's, um, there's some hope in that. I mean, when we think, what can a video game do that other media can't, it, it really has a lot to do with allowing people to, to, to actually participate in somebody else's story not to watch somebody else's story, but to participate in that story. And there's an empathy that comes through in that that you can't get by watching somebody on a TV screen, right? So from the very beginning, um, Marines, soldiers, Iraqis, people in the industry who've been closely exposed to the game, everybody, once they see that, they seem to understand. Now, the challenge for us has been that there are certainly people who look at the project from the outside and worry whether or not we're going to just whitewash history. And, um, uh, and, and so it's up to us now to do some things to show that that's not our intent, that our intent is actually to deal with the, all the serious subjects that are, that are inherent in such a complex situation. Yeah, yeah I well, mean, ahead, nobody, um, like, Nobody that has watched the video and the interviews and these testimonials um, has has been unchanged by them. I mean, they're very, very powerful. And so I think that's what keeps bringing this back back to the surface is that you, you just can't forget them. You can't move on from them because they they need to be told. Now, you know, even though it's been over 10 years since this game was originally announced, I mean, uh, I've already seen in, in the reactions to the reannouncement, a lot of people continue to feel very, very strongly about this all these years later. Now, your reveal trailer, if people haven't seen it, maybe uh, we're watching it now, depending on how this video gets edited, but um, the reveal trailer for 2021 uh, does seem to convey to me that you guys really are taking this very seriously and you know, you've, in the trailer, you're featuring a number of the, the soldiers and civilians who were really there. So kind of what what is the message uh, to the the uh, people that 
uh, are that are concerned about about making a game about this. And and I guess that the follow up I would ask there too would be, you know, you mentioned earlier, Peter, about about kind of needing to to convey the you know show it to people the right way, and and when people see it, they get it. You know, do you feel like thus far here in the initial wave, you know, you've done some press already. Do you feel like you've you've uh, done a good job of of reintroducing this, or or is there now, you know, do you feel like the, the people still need to see more? For sure, people need to see more. Um, you know, there, we we ha- we made a, a tough decision based on something we learned last time. So when we announced Six Days in Fusion two thousand nine, we had spent the three years before that building a game engine that allows to completely destroy the entire game world. So this is six years before Rainbow Six Siege lets you blow holes in the wall. Right. We had a game in which you could destroy the whole battlefield brick by brick. Nobody talked about it. Nobody talked about it. And I mean, the people who were there at the Konami events saw that, but no stories after that were written about that. Yeah. They were all written about the controversy. And in the end, I don't think that the controversy is necessarily um, what players are interested in, right? They're interested in what is the actual game like. And so this time around, we knew if we announced it again, that there were gonna be people who were gonna say it was a bad idea. So we thought, let's talk about, let's get let, let's have that conversation first before we try to actually describe the game itself. But then I think once people start to see what we're doing in the game, um, then I believe that they'll, they'll understand more about why it is it's important for us to make this game and how it's different than other military shooters. So in, in the press release for, you know, just, just, uh, just now reannouncing the game, it says the game gives these stories voice through gameplay and first person accounts captured in original document, uh, documentary interview footage. So does that mean that, that you guys have integrated that real life documentary footage into the game, which, which is similar to what Respawn just did, uh, this past holiday with Medal of Honor above and beyond? Is that, am I interpreting that correctly? That is correct. Yeah, I mean, we are. There is an integration of the two. But go ahead, Jamie. Yeah. Just to say something. Yeah, right? sorry. I um, I think one of the um, one of the reasons why people um, are reacting so strongly is because when you imagine what this game could be, you imagine, okay, well, you know, it's like a a military shooter campaign, and it's got characters that are made up and situations that are written by a team of writers. Um, but it's, you know, it's based on all this, like they did a lot of research, right? Um, that's not what this game is at all. We are taking these testimonials. In fact, the code name for the game was testimony for a long time. Mm. We're taking these testimonials and we are trying to, um, present them as a documentary would. And then where a documentary might go to a reenactment or B-roll or stock footage, we are then allowing the gameplay to take over, right? And put you in the same similar situations and try to mirror the this person's story through the gameplay. And then we go back, we dip back into the video, back into the testimonial to hear, you know, some of the consequences of, of the event. Or now, you know. 10, 15 years later, looking back on it, what's, how does this person think? Or what were the perspectives of some of the other people that were involved? So there isn't, there isn't a campaign with a story and you know, actors. There's none of that. This is, a, this is a documentary with interactive 
sections in a lot of ways. Interesting. And I, I, it's, I don't know how you communicate that in a three-minute trailer. Right. I mean, we tried. Like, we absolutely put in clips from these testimonials, and we tried to not tri- not tell story in the game. Um, but this is a new concept, right? This is not yeah. something that's been done before. And um, so it's just going to take a while, and it's going to take more um, content and more kind of talking about the actual features of the game for people to even really understand, but, you know, and, and, and allow them to make judgments about it. So, so Jamie, that, that actually kind of brings me to a good point to ask this. So how, you know, with this, when, when obviously Peter's been connected to this for so long, uh, you had been <clears throat> in Bungie and then you founded, co-founded Highwire, you did Golem. Uh, so how does, how do you and Highwire come to get involved in this? Um, so in order to answer that question, I have to take you all the way back to, um, 2006. Please. Um, so we were working on Halo 3 at the time and we were preparing a multiplayer beta, right? Um, we had all these new features that we were excited to test and that went way beyond what Halo 2 had done. Um, uh, but we, we needed stress testing. We needed we were going to release this wide uh, public beta. And toward the end of 2006, um, through, uh, I don't know, some context that um, some, some of the executives at the studio had, um, we got the opportunity to do a USO trip to Iraq. So that plan was we're going to take 32 Xboxes, we're going to take 32 TVs, 32 power supplies, we're going to crate them up. We're going to send some members of the development team to a small base outside of Ramadi. And even saying this sounds crazy. Um, and basically set up a multiplayer lab yeah. for these for these deployed soldiers. Um, and they were going to play the game before anybody else. And as soon as I heard that this trip was being planned, I cashed in all my chips. I said, look, I've never asked to go to Europe. You know, I, I've never asked to like, you know, tour with the South American marketing crew. I, I want to go. I want to go. And, um, you know, at, at the time I was, you know, single and didn't have any kids and I was kind of young and I, um, and it was, it was, um, something that I felt like I needed to do. Right. So, they put us on a plane, we flew into Kuwait, and then the military took our passports and put us on a, you know, a C-130 and flew us really low into a, you know, one of the Air Force bases in Iraq and and I and um, talked about putting us on a convoy that was driving to this operating base that we were going to. Um, we ended up taking a Black Hawk helicopter, like. Like this, this is, we could talk for an hour about this story, but the thing that sticks out for me is these guys would go be out on patrol. They would come in, they would come into the lab, they would prop their rifle up against the desk. They play Halo for four hours and then they'd stand up, pick up the rifle and go back out on patrol. And 
it was it was humbling for sure that video games were such an integral part of their experience right like these guys were not watching tv or reading comic books or any of the kind of other media that you would normally associate with deployment these guys played video games a lot and they played halo specifically a lot and um and they would you know they would talk about how important it was to have this outlet for them um the other thing that i noticed while watching these guys play i mean these guys are military trained right like they they've 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 got all of this cutting edge training they're actually like actively deployed and they're playing against our test team back in seattle and getting destroyed <laughs> like the skills that they were using on the battlefield were not at all what you needed in order to play halo well and and every 15 minutes somebody would come up and say hey we really love playing halo but like that's not what combat's like at all that's nothing i mean obviously it's you know space marines and all that yeah. stuff, but they're like yeah video games are not not like combat at all it, it it's you know it's not even the same if you if you if you try to fight a war like you fight in halo you wouldn't last 10 minutes and they would even talk about how it was a mental switch that they would flip when they would come and play halo um so as you can imagine that trip had a pretty profound impact on me yeah and just um how I thought about uh, uh, these soldiers that were deployed, and I was there for two weeks, right? And I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't in, really in danger the whole time. So I, you can only imagine how somebody who was on the front lines, how how they would be impacted by their experience. Put, puts things so then, in perspective for you. A- absolutely. I mean, and it it kind of when I came back, my first day back. Um, I was in a design meeting and we were talking about, well, how much damage should the plasma grenade do to a grunt when his friend is stuck with it? And what should be the radius? And I just remember sitting in that meeting and going, I, I don't think I can work on another Halo game after this. Like I just, Halo is amazing. It made my career. I thoroughly enjoyed all the time I spent on it, but I, I think I'm kind of done. You know, it, this can't be all that there is, yeah. right? This, this can't be all that video games can be. Um, and so that was, that was like, you know, experience number one. So what, what did you think then, uh, before we get to actually coming around to how Highwire got involved in this, when, yeah. when six days first comes around, when Peter's first got this, uh, I'm sure, you, you know, maybe you given that you guys worked together for a time, maybe you'd mm-hmm. heard about it prior to Konami announcing the game. But so what was your reaction to it uh, when it, when it originally came around? I was um, excited for the service members involved because I, I even, even, you know, um, even with my rea- my interactions in 2006, like 
I I heard the same thing that Peter did was, hey, you know, when we come back, we don't want to watch a movie about what we did. We don't want to read a book about what we did. We want to play a video game about what we did. I mean, that that was that's their media, right? Um, and so I was excited for them, but I was also um, and you know it was a failure of imagination on my part. I was also uh, skeptical. I mean, I think you have to be skeptical, right? Like, yeah, can well, demands that, games. right? This this subject demands that. Absolutely, and I and I I have a lot of sympathy for people that are skeptical. I mean, the games industry has not done a good job at this. Not at all. Like, I think one of the other steps on my trip to wanting to work on this game was um, I was watching, uh, I don't know, some some reveal for some giant military shooter, right? And there was a mission with an AC-130 gunship where, um, you know, you're basically circling a battlefield and, and taking out enemies from the air. Yeah. And I had seen the leaked video of the actual, you know, the actual mission, right? The real life version and found it just very, very difficult to, to deal with, right? It was very, it was, it was um, disconcerting, you know, uh, just how calm everything was. Meanwhile, this, just this destruction is getting rained down. But when I saw it in the video game, um, my first reaction as a game developer was, wow, how are they doing that? That's like so accurate. Like that yeah. looks exactly like the the YouTube video that I saw. But my second reaction was stripped of context. This is, it's it's meaningless, you know? Yeah, like stripped of the the situation and the and the kind of human element, it's just a really amazing piece of technology, and you you see this happening over and over again in the games industry where, um, like there's a there's a multiplayer map, and it's set on the Euphrates, right? It's that said it's set in Fallujah. There's a trestle bridge that goes over the Euphrates that has that's you know. Uh, extremely well known. Um, if you're kind of paying attention to, to to what's happening in 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 world events, um, they made it into a multiplayer map. They totally stripped it of context, and it's just it's it, it's not it's it's it does a, it does a disservice, I think. Yeah. to their to their topic and you like and that goes it goes all the way down to like every single gun is like meticulously built and it's like this weld is here and this screw is here and but they treat them like they're cars in a racing game right right this is a it, this is a tool of death this is this has one purpose right um but we're gonna we're gonna like paint it electric pink and and chrome and i, I just all that stuff, the game industry has not handled the the context around the action that they want to show right. very well. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So then take me to what I imagine now is two or three years ago. Does does Peter call you? How do you how does Highwire, which is a, a relatively small studio, I've I've got to visit you a few years ago now, uh, when you were starting on on Golem. You know yeah. yourself, and and uh, in my opinion, the the best video game composer on the planet, uh, Marty O'Donnell. Um, you've got one or two other ex Bungie folks there. So how how does uh, how does Highwire come to be involved with with Peter on uh, on the mm-hmm. revival of Six Days? Yeah, so we um, you know we kind of you keep in touch with people around the industry, right? And um, uh, we. I think Marty actually was the one who got got a, got an email from Pete saying, "Hey, I'm going to be at GDC. Are you guys going to be at GDC? We should meet up." Um, and and we did. Um, it was actually right after we had pitched Golem, uh, so we were, you know, pretty excited about that opportunity. And at that point, Pete was just asking for advice. He's like, "Look, I have these interviews. I have these stories that I've been asked to share with the world." How am I going to get this done? And I think, you know, we gave him some advice. We gave him some people maybe he wanted to contact. Um, and then we said, go, good luck. <laughs> we're going to go make Golem. Uh, like, uh, we're going back to Seattle. And then um, maybe it was like a couple years after that, um, he reached back out and he said, okay, you know, now I've got this like playable experience. And, you know, I, I, I've, then um, Pete feel free to interrupt and correct the record, but, you know, I've raised some money and like, I think this, is, this could actually happen. What do you guys think about VR? Um, and we, you know, we, we, we played it and we're like, wow, this is, you have something really powerful that you have to be careful. You know, you have to move carefully yeah. um, to really do it justice. Uh, so good luck with that. <laughs> um, so then the third time he came back to us and he was like, Hey, I want you guys to work on it. Like, I think you guys are the right team. And um, again, it, uh, through a failure of imagination, it was like, ah, you know, I I don't really want to work on a shooter again. Um, I like, I I especially um, don't want to try to take this tiny team and compete with some of the biggest, most well-funded teams on the planet, like right in their wheelhouse. Right. Um, I like, I just don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Even though you had clearly had such a strong reaction to the other military shooters. I mean, I'm detecting, you know, you kind of a, for lack of a better term, sort of almost like a, not a chip on your shoulder, but you, you know, you felt like that 
that genre wasn't being properly served and, and you still were hesitant to take this on? Well, yeah, because at the time, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure video games could properly address the context. Right. Right. Um, so uh, Peter being Wiley um, sent me a bunch of the videos. He said, okay, well, you know, just watch these videos. Um, m- maybe they'll inspire something. And so then I found myself watching these hours of, of not just, not just service members, not just us uh, like Marines and soldiers that were, that were there. But I mean, these interviews, it was with the police chief in Fallujah at the time. It was with the governor of the province. It was with, you know, people who own stores in, in Fallujah, right? Who, you know, were just trying to like make a living. And, and every few minutes, someone would say something that floored me, where I would just say, I had no idea that that happened. I had no idea that this was like that. I, why isn't anybody? Why isn't anybody like telling us that this particular thing went went down? Um, and I, you know, I I was engaged with the news. Like I, you know, was addicted to cable news like everybody else at the time. Yeah. Um, it just was not. It was not being covered. Um, and so I, I went back to Pete and I said, okay if we're going to do this, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be medal of honor light, right? We're not going to be a budget version of call of duty and get this done. Yeah. Um, it's going to be, we're going to make a documentary. We're going to make a video. I mean, there's been plenty of documentaries about video games, but there hasn't been a video game documentary. Yeah. Um, like we're not going to, we're not going to try to tell a story, right? Like we're just going to, show these guys stories see that's what i feel like you guys needed to say in the press release like that's that sums it up pretty well like i feel like that's 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 something that is very intriguing that's uh and in fact to to that end jamie i i I promised peter (laughs) poor peter's being kept on ice over there um but this is this is great stuff uh from jamie um is jamie you're you know you're kind of most famous uh to the game playing public at least of being the 30 seconds of fun guy from Bungie. You're the guy that sort of I, produced I think, that, developed that. I think most you know, you're not know taking like credit, that. but that's... <laughs> I, I think most people know that quote because of you. I think you're the one that's really <laughs> like um, kind of giving me that uh, moniker, uh, whatever. I, I, Yeah, 30 seconds of fun was, um, that was what Halo was. Yeah. Right? Like, um the sort of the, the meaning of 30 seconds of fun was you um, you set up these mechanics in such a way that um, the actions that you have available to you are constantly changing and the situations that you're getting thrown into are constantly changing, but there's still this repeated loop um, of, of, you know, melee and, and, and primary weapon and grenades that are, you know, it's just keeping you in the flow, right? It's, right. It, it, and it repeats roughly every 30 seconds. And well, the, the reason I bring it up is because in the context of Six Days in Fallujah, I want to ask you, you know, does that design adage 
apply here? Can it apply here? I mean, with, with something that is this serious, that is attempting to be a playable documentary, what is the fun or is it fun uh, as far as like the gameplay goes? Because it's it's not meant to make you hoot and holler and go, yeah, I, you know, I. So what what are the design? So all of that. And then the the, the mm -hmm. postscript to this question is, what are the design challenges of a project like this from a gameplay perspective? Yeah, I mean, um, so the the. This is sort of another reason why this project is so interesting to me, because it's a challenge. Can we take the same principles, right, of like setting up mechanics and structures inside of a game to create an experience inside the player's mind? Can we use those same tools? But our goal is not fun, right? Our goal is empathy. Our goal is um to give you just a little taste of what something must be like. So then when you hear the person explain in their own words, what it was like for them, you have that connection point, right? Yeah. Um, so all of the mechanics in the game are based on these testimonials. Um, I think a really good example of that is uh, the procedural architecture. For that we, this is a whole system that we developed for the game. Yeah. So we we heard over and over from these guys. Um, you never knew what to expect anytime you went in a house, anytime you opened a door. Like you could not anticipate what was going to happen on the other side. And in a traditional video game, that applies to the first time you play. Right, you're playing through a campaign mission. You kick open the door. Oh, it's a, it's an ambush. There's a guy over there. There's a guy over there, and maybe you don't succeed. Maybe they they get you. Right. You revert back to a checkpoint. You come back to the same door. You're you already have a beat on the first guy before you even open the door. Right. right? Um, that is that is not the experience that these guys had. Right. Like they got one shot. And how are we going to recreate that? game so we spent i mean literally months and bordering on years developing this technology that allows us to recreate entire sections of the city dynamically mm -hmm. so not only do you not know what's going to happen when you kick open the door me as a designer i don't know right i didn't go in and place all the little nodes and set up the scripting and all this stuff it's generated yeah. Right. Kind of like then, Diablo, right? Where they procedurally generate their dungeons. Absolutely, and that that keeps it fresh, right? It keeps you on your toes. Um, but I think most importantly is like, if you fail, and you're going to try again, we regenerate, right? So there, you you never have any foreknowledge, right? And there's gameplay reasons for that. There's game design kind of like. Um, considerations where you where that's a desirable outcome. The real reason for doing it is so that you get just a little bit of what it must have been like. Obviously, we cannot incorporate the whole entire experience. Uh, we can't even come close, right? But we can give you just a tiny little bit. So then 
when you go back into the testimonial and the Marine says, I was afraid every time I opened the door, you understand why. You have yeah. a little connection that allows you a lot greater understanding of, of, of what this must have been like. So uh, t- sort of t- get with, with regard to the feel that you're kind of talking about, sort of the, trying to convey that emotion, uh, is Marty scoring this? Marty O'Donnell, is, is there a sort of soundtrack to this or is it is the soundtrack a, a lack of sound and, and that being kind of emotional unto itself? What's... Uh, absolutely, Marty's writing music for the game. And, and so think- what what is he thinking? What, like, what's the tone of that? Like, I mean, it, you know, with Marty, as, as brilliant as I think he is, his, his resume is largely... Uh, sort of almost fantasy-ish in this, at this, you know, Golem, Destiny, Halo, they're very sort of, you know, sci-fi. So what, what's, uh, what's the tone that, that the score is going for here? I think one thing that's great about Marty is that he will surprise you. You know, he's made Halo games that with a jazz-based soundtrack. True. Right? And I, like, I remember when we were, when he first played us, the Halo 3 announcement trailer and it was it's just just the piano right like everything about the score has always been huge and dramatic and then nope this time just the piano and and it, you know it gives you chills and so yeah. I never try to predict what Marty's going to do but I can tell you that Marty is not just a composer he's an audio director and what he sees as the challenge is not how do you score this game it's how do you how do you sound design this game? Yeah, you know, like we um, we we ask these guys like, hey, what um, what kind of like hand signals are you using in combat, and like what kind of like what do you what kind of like code lingo words are you using, right? And they're like, no, we don't, right? We, gunfire is so deafening. Here's what we say: we say ceasefire a lot because it's so loud on the battlefield. You cannot communicate to the guy standing right next to you if he's firing his weapon. Yeah. And so, you know, that, okay, well, how do we recreate that in the sound design? How do we use dynamic range in the audio to recreate that, that complication that, that these guys had in, in our, in our interactive experience. That'll be uh, that'll be, be curious to hear that to actually hear that with with a good pair of headphones on and see what you guys have come up with for that. Now, Peter, obviously the new game, I would imagine, doesn't share anything with the 2009 version on the technical side. Uh, does it share anything with the original vision of the game, design wise, or or in some other way aside from the story itself? Well, yeah, I mean the the I'd say two elements essentially that are still shared. One is the true stories for sure. Um, I mean, we knew back then that we really wanted to let players experience these stories through video as well so that they can get to know these people as human beings. I mean, this is part of the challenge of most video games, right? Is It's an avatar on a screen. You kind of feel like it's fake, but if we can just get these real people in front of you, you're gonna understand this is a real human being story, right? So that's, um, that's, a, that's one element um, that Jamie uses a foundation, but has enhanced it in some really unique ways that we're going to start talking about a little bit later, because there, there's there's a lot of ways that we can integrate that 
communication um, during the game. And the second thing is we always knew this wanted to be a tactical shooter mm -hmm. and not a run and gun shooter, right? So the tone wouldn't be right. But more importantly than that, um, one thing that has been very consistently communicated to us by these Marines is uh, today's games um, are just are just so different than actual combat that uh, because uh, you can you can solve problems by yourself, right? Um, you, you can you can run through a map and and play like Rambo and still succeed. Right. That that just won't work. And so in in real combat, it's about the tactics. And it's about making sure that you are coordinating your activities with others on your team, because that's the only way to overwhelm that enemy is to get, um, you know, a higher volume of fire or be able to fix somebody in place with suppressive fire while another element flanks that person. So that is that is an essence, the essence of what real combat is really like. And it's not something that I have experienced in a lot of games since Full Spectrum Warrior and Brothers in Arms, right? So it's been a long time since I've actually really gotten that. But what, what is really unique, however, is that Jamie has figured out some ways to make that actually work in a much more compelling way. So one of the reasons so many of these tackle shooters that try to tackle this this idea of of, of a full team assaulting an, uh, an insurgent is um you know that that you get there's an obscurity um there's too many layers of abstraction between the player and the action because you've got radial menus or if you've got button combos you've got all sorts of things that don't make as instantaneous as you need to be and so people don't do it right um and number two is you don't need to do it that the enemy has been created in such a way in most games that you can beat that enemy by yourself. So the challenge that 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 uh, Jamie and the team at Highwire have really zeroed in on is how do you fix those two problems, right? How do you create uh, enemies that are actually using tactics that require uh, uh, a coordinated team to overwhelm them? And number two, um, how do we get rid of, how do we make it as easy for you to order your team to do something as it is to fire your weapon. Fundamentally, if we can make it as easy to direct your team as it is to fire your weapon, then that becomes as powerful of a tool for the player as the weapon. So that's, uh, and so that's where we get the go command. And that's, and that's Jamie's, uh, that's, 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 that's some brilliant, brilliant thinking on how to do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it comes, it comes, it comes back to the energy. Right, like we, we again. I told you, we asked these guys what kind of hand signals they use, and we said, Well, we pointed a lot, and if we pointed at this, it meant go there, and if we pointed at this, it meant like suppress for me, and if we pointed at this, it meant we're going this way. And so, trying to recreate that kind of contextual communication is how we arrived at, at, at the go command system. And in case, so I, uh, I've seen the gameplay video you guys either by the time this video airs have put out or about to put out. Can you explain that a bit more, Jamie? Sure. So, um, you know, my background is console, right? Where buttons are at a premium. And a lot of times you'll design a game for a keyboard. And then when you try to cram it on a, on a console, you end up having to do all kinds of crazy UI things. And so from the beginning, I'm like, look, Teamwork is very important. Um, communicating to your to your to your fire team what 
they need to do is, is going to be a crucial aspect of the game. But this, we, we, you can't be babysitting them. But these guys have to behave autonomously. They have to <clears throat> have good AI, I mean, essentially, when you're playing in a single-player setting. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to narrow it down to you basically have one, one thing that you can do, which is you can point and you can say, go. Right. And if you're pointing at a door, when you say go, it means stack up on that door because we're going through it. And if you're pointing at, you know, uh, uh, a, a corner, it means secure that corner, watch that corner because I'm going to go this way, but I need somebody watching. It's a 360 battlefield. I, I need somebody watching that way. And then by kind of like bringing stuff down to just the contextual communication, um, you know, you can't do elaborate three-part plans with your AI, but it's very responsive. Like it's happening constantly as, as you're going through a house, you're, you're able to just um, <clears throat> manage your team as you're also trying to focus on a bunch of other things. And then that extends to the co-op experience too, right? Like if, if we're playing together, I don't have to just describe an elaborate plan. I can just give you the appropriate go command you, and you see it on your screen. You're like, okay, I understand what we're doing. Right. Um, Peter, I'm glad you brought up Full Spectrum Warrior because uh, as soon as I saw your gameplay video, that was the first thing that popped to mind. I, I reviewed that game uh, back in back in the day when it first came out, and uh, it got a sequel, which I played as well. Uh, that game, of course, as you are well aware, was designed first and foremost as a training tool for the U.S. Army before it was converted into a full and proper video game by uh, the now defunct Pandemic Studios. But uh, what one thing I think that really came through with Full Spectrum Warrior was that, at least in my opinion, it it really did a good job of of treating U.S. Army soldiers with with a, a lot of respect and reverence, and it took its subject matter very very seriously. So, um, ha- have you spent a lot of time either recently or or just over the years playing Full Spectrum Warrior? Is is that game, or is there is there any other game or games? Are, are those uh, a touchstone for what you're trying to do here with six days in Fallujah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think there's, um, I mean, I, I, the two games that I would refer to the most actually is Brothers in Arms um, and Full Spectrum Warrior. Yeah. Uh, so in um, in both of those games, there were benefits to working with your team, and you were allowed to use real military tactics like fire maneuver actually make make a difference. Everything is based on fire maneuver in in um, in, in actual combat. So, um, and I think I thought both of those experiences were brilliant in their own ways. Uh, the, the questions that we've had is how do we make that concept a little bit more accessible so that more players might be able to participate and understand those two tactics and be able to actually execute those much quicker. It's well, funny because my, oh, my reference, my reference point is, is something more like, uh, like papers, please. Right. Hmm. Where, the, there's such a clear line from the mechanics of the game to the experience that is created to the real world experience that's being referenced that you you, you understand like it's in just this like direct line into your brain oh like this is what you know manning a border could be like right um and so I, I do think it, I do think the depth of something like a full spectrum warrior is is uh, and the and the 
how it tries to accurately capture tactics is important. Because like if we're not if we're not if 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 we're not creating mechanics that force you to use real world tactics, then we've we're not we're not recreating their experiences, right? We're we're letting you just like be a super soldier in a real battlefield, which is not the intention at all. Right. So Peter, I'm curious, I mean, after watching the gameplay video, watching your trailer, uh, just kind of as a, I mean, I, I feel like I got to ask, at least kind of get your thoughts on this. You know, this is, as you've seen, as, as we've talked about, and th- this is a subject, uh, this battle, uh, this war is something that, that is, uh, very upsetting to a lot of people. It's, it's something that's, that's still very raw to a lot of people. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious if you could speak to the question of why, uh, why not kind of go the full spectrum warrior route, not in the gameplay sense, but in the sense of real tactics, focus on realism, but can, but just setting it as in a fictional story rather than something that, that is, that so many people are, are genuinely connected to in their, in their, you know, daily lives, either in the, the, active, uh, their family members or, or the memories of, of people they've lost? Well, it's because of the stories themselves. Um, they, you know, we have always approached uh, understanding about these events through the proxy of fiction in, in, in video games. And, um, but uh, being able to, I mean, we couldn't, for example, at that point, put these real human beings on a screen in front of you and have you understand their story. If we did that through fiction, we would have to rewrite that uh, somehow. And, um, and, and it's, 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 it's knowing that these things actually happened that I think give us information and empathy for not just the people, but an understanding of what has been dividing us culturally right. as well. And that can't, you could certainly dip your toes in that through fiction, but you can't, you can't really, um, you can't really capture it. So, um, uh, and there's a second point here, which is um, it has, it has truthfully, it's really bothered me that here we have this battle that is one of the most significant battles in the Western world in nearly half a century. But Hollywood has been afraid to tell these stories just because the war in Iraq was controversial doesn't mean that it isn't filled with stories of sacrifice. And so shouldn't those people's stories be told? I mean, if you think about it from a Marine or soldier's perspective right now, now I'm just talking in this case about that side. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody saved your life, you'd want the world to know about that. If somebody died saving your life, you'd want the world to know about that. And because the Iraq war has been so controversial, those stories have not been told. And I don't know how we, A, can recognize those sacrifices without telling those stories, the true stories, or B, learn from those sacrifices without telling those true stories. And I, I... I would say um, if you're making a full spectrum warrior or a tr- you know some kind of training simulation, they're not telling the full story, right? We've talked a lot about the, the Marines and the soldiers' tactics and their testimonials. That's only part of this project that we're working on. 
We've interviewed dozens of Iraqis, right? In fact, we were we were kind of like laying out here's the events that we want to cover. Here's the parts of the battle that we want to cover. And we, we started seeing holes. It's like, it's easy for us to find somebody in Florida who was you know, part of the Marines to interview, but there's this, there's this whole component that we're not, we don't have enough, we don't have enough testimonials from Iraqis, to be frank. And so last year, we have a, we have a, we have an embedded journalist on the team. Like, like he, he has done journalism in Texas, covered all kinds of, um, you know, sort of difficult, serious topics. We sent him to Fallujah to get more interviews from Iraqis that lived in Fallujah at this time. And those are going to be in the game. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get them translated into English and, and, and that will provide, I think, a perspective that you would never get from something that was exclusively focusing on the Marines. And that's so important to us at Highwire. And I think that is maybe the most um, difficult thing about the reception so far is um, is kind of our intentions in doing this. Um, the, I've, I've read dozens of books on this battle, watched every documentary out there, and um, the one thing that keeps coming up over and over is how inevitable and inexorable it felt to everyone that was involved, right? It's like this boulder and it is rolling down the hill and it is just crushing everyone. Um, and everyone feels powerless, right? To, to stop it. Everybody on, on the ground is just feeling like, you know, they, they're being asked to do these things or they're having these things thrust upon them they had no choice in the matter. And if we just stick our heads in the sand and refuse to talk about it, it's going to happen again. That boulder is going to keep rolling and keep crushing us. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, guns and, and tanks and explosions are really cool. Right, and people are going to make games about them, but they're not going to—they're not going to make games about the human cost or the decades of repercussions that happen from something like this. If we don't, you know, if if somebody doesn't at least try, right? We're going to chip away at that boulder. We're a tiny team. We're twenty people. Yeah. Right. We, we have, this team is smaller than a Halo multiplayer map team, right? Um, and we're, this, this is an ambitious project. And I, I hope this is like the first of, I think I hope more teams jump into doing things like this because I feel like it's time for the game industry to grow up. You know, Peter, I want, oh, that's actually a perfect follow-up for you. You, um, you know, I have the luxury here of, of, being able to follow up a couple of other interviews you've done. Uh, and in one of those, you'd said, 
on the subject of of including the the stories and and even some missions of uh, you know gameplay content of of Iraqis in this game, uh, you said because there's there's apparently it's it's a pretty there's not too much of it it's just it's a little bit here and there in the game but you said very few people are curious what it's like to be an Iraqi civilian nobody's going to play that game but people are curious what it's like to be in combat so I mean it sounds like you guys I, I almost feel like there's not a, I don't mean contradictory in the quite uh, combative sense, but it sounds like from what Jamie's saying that there is interesting gameplay to be had there, but but yet it sounds like it's a very small piece of the game. I, I think that uh, people uh, are, are not, uh, broadly speaking, right, I'm talking about reaching millions of people here, that, that it'd be very difficult to try to create a Iraqi civilian simulator, for example, and, and, and attract millions of people to that experience. But when people are participating in this experience as a tactical military game, we can, we can unveil for them the Iraqi civilian experience as part of that, making that experience and making the player want to understand more about what is happening within the context of the battle, what the civilians are seeing. That's not something they're gonna necessarily, it's not something that you and I are typically thinking about, typical consumers thinking about just on an average day, thinking about how am I going to, you know, that's not an experience. I'm like, I wanna do that, right? But I can make that exper experience interesting to you within the context of a tactical military game and make you curious then about being an Iraqi civilian and what was it actually like to be in the city during the battle as somebody without a weapon. And Ryan, we have to be very careful, right? We, we're, we're a bunch of guys in Seattle, guys and girls in Seattle. Yeah. We have to be really careful in speaking for people that have gone through things that are outside of our experience, right? And so I'm much more interested in letting these people speak for themselves and, and, um, and, and including those testimonials as well. But we have to be very careful that we're not becoming exploitative or uh, it's just, it, look, nobody's ever done anything like this before. And we are on completely undiscovered ground right now. And so we are trying to carefully and and humbly like find figure out, you know, kind of where the the lines ought to be drawn. Um and and you know I think that I'm very proud of the team for like they they approach each of these topics with a, a seriousness that I think is appropriate for the for the subject matter. Well, I think yeah, that I think a, a fair follow up here because I hear what you guys are saying, but you know, Peter, you guys talk about wanting to make this a a playable a video game documentary, and it's like I I, I find that fascinating on the surface, but so then. But then you're also talking about, okay, well, we, you know, we've just got a little bit of the Iraqi citizen stuff in the game itself here, because speaking for, you know, mass market appeal, you, you've got to lean on the, the soldier, the combat side. So, I mean, a, a documentary's job is to sort of objectively examine something. So how do you balance the need, the, the desire to make a video game documentary about this versus 
the the commercial reality of of trying to sell a game to you know keep everybody employed and and may and have it be a a, a profitable enterprise. Yeah, I think people will experience um, that <clears throat> they'll, they'll get more understanding of the Iraqi story, uh, not just from the stories. Of the, that the Iraqis are talking about, but the, the 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 realities that the player experiences as they have to overcome these challenges in the city, because there are consequences on the people for the things that the player has to do. So it's a comprehensive kind of thing. Um, it, we have to be careful with the word documentary, though. Um, so documentary uh, is is you know recounting factually how something happened, and. Um, I'm careful. I've been careful about trying not to use that word specifically to say that because it, it um, we are documentary in the sense that we are going to allow the people who were there to speak to you directly, right? And they are going to talk about factual events. But um, then we challenge you to actually experience that story as a participant. And then you are actually creating that part of the story after that. Right. So what we can do is we can set the conditions that existed at the beginning of a mission, for example, and require you to complete the same objective. But how you do that is somewhat up to you. So that's why we got to be careful about the word documentary, because it may actually be implied to say that the player is going to follow the exact same path that actually happened. That's not true. Our goal is to make you understand through empathy the choices that that individual had to make and the situations and dilemmas that they were in. And just to speak uh, to the, that question of the tension between like the commercial viability yeah, and then please. the kind of artistic vision, um, this this game could not have been made five years ago because in order to hit the fidelity that we need to hit for you to connect with these characters, we would need a team of hundreds of people, right? I think a lot of times when... when um, these very large games say that they're not political, it's because they're made by 3,000 people on three continents, all with incredibly like different perspectives and experience and even understandings of what is political. So, you know, of course, like they, they can't have a single vision, right? There's 25 people working on this game. So, I can talk to every single person on the team and say, "Hey, we're thinking about doing this." Like, like, how, like, and from a variety of different kind of political leanings as well. So, um, you know, we can we can make this game without so much of that tension because we are making it with such a small team. Although at the same point, I mean, Peter, you did say that this game is not a political statement in uh, yeah. either way. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, so. I mean, so let's let's parse that. Sure. So yes, of, yes, of course, we we um, of course the, the game does make political statements, but those statements come from the people who were there. And in the game, you will see real people on the screen, directly telling you their story and their perspective, and then you participate in that in that story, as if you were them, right? So. That is that is what is unique about this project. Uh, Jamie, I'm sort of on the design side for you. You mentioned um, the the uh, 
the procedural dynamically generated uh, layouts each time you play. So uh, how is how is death handled in this? Because, you know, you are using real soldiers. They're real faces. Um, so what happens? What can can your squad mates die in this game that are that are real soldiers? Can you die? Uh, which you seem to suggest. Yes. But so kind of what happens? What, how does that work in, in the context of six days in Fallujah? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we're still working on, on some of that, right? To figure out exactly what the right tone should be and exactly how we should handle it. Um, I think one of the lines that we've drawn internally is we're never going to recreate the death of a specific person who lost their lives in the battle. So there's, there's, there's really well known by people that are into this kind of thing, um, events that happened, right? Like taking the culture center or hell house. And you can look up on Wikipedia, like the casualty list for those specific battles, right? And so then if we recreate that event, you know, that's getting into some very difficult territory that would be, I won't say it can't be handled well, but we're very wary of trying to do it in our first swing. Um, and, and so um, most of these testimonials that we're recreating um once yeah once you take control and once we're not like specifically telling the story anymore it can it can divert from the testimonial that we're trying to recreate because you could mess up you know something could go wrong uh the segment so the, the the parts of the game where you are playing as as an iraqi civilian trying to sort of just kind of escape to safety what did you guys learn from the families that you interviewed the iraqi families that you interviewed that that has influenced the design of of those aspects of the game well we are going to try to give you just a tiny little glimpse of what it might have been like and then allow you to hear these stories from the people that did experience Peter, uh, last question goes your way. Although, Jamie, you're welcome to chime in too if you like. But um, I guess at the end, the, the way I want to wrap this up, uh, and I appreciate you guys taking the time for what has been a well over an hour conversation here. What is it that you want players to take away from Six Days in Fallujah when this game finally releases later on in, in 2021? What What is the game's message? What is it? What What is it that you would like the game to say? We really hope that players will understand both the cost and the complexity of urban combat. You know, it, Sun Tzu 2,500 years ago said, never siege a city, never try to assault a city unless you have exhausted every other option. And that has been the advice that military have tried to follow for a long time. And in fact, before these battles began, uh, before the first battle of Fallujah began, both General Manus and General Dunford begged the civilian leadership, do not make me assault the city. 
And the reason for that is because they understood that, that complexity and that human cost of that action. But we who sit so far removed from this don't understand that. And the farther we get away from these events, the more likely it is that we can let emotions drive policymakers to make choices that can cause e enormous, enormous sacrifices. Uh, my, my answers are always stories, right? Um, so when I started in the industry, it was 1997. And the person that gave me my first job at Bungie was Alex Soropi. And Alex got his start years earlier. His very first game was called Operation Desert Storm. So that's two careers in the game industry that have spanned this conflict. It is a forever war. And we are still in it. This is, what, the seventh administration that is still in it, and there's no exit. And so I want people to understand what happened in the Battle of, of Fallujah because it was the result of, of decades of events, and it kicked off so much that has shaped the modern world. I think you can't understand what's happening now unless you understand what happened in Fallujah. And so that's really my goal. It's not, it's, it, it really, I am trying to um, have some, some kind of journalistic objectivity, right? Um, but it is important to me that people understand this tragedy. I mean, there's no other word for it. Uh, so that they can help figure out how it doesn't happen again. Peter Tamte, Jamie Griesmer, thank you guys very much for taking the time to sit down with me here. The game is Six Days in Fallujah. It'll be out later in 2021. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. Hi, it's Jennifer, a founder of Go Kid Go and a mom to two kids. Join my family on the story train with Calm Conductor Birdie each night as we travel through the magic rainbow tunnel to everywhere and anywhere to find the best bedtime stories. Search for Story Train on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. 